Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast, the CPD series. In this educational series, Louise is in conversation with numerous experts to discuss the many aspects of food and lifestyle which impact on early childhood development. This CPD is linked to Louise's series of short courses for the early years and education sector. How Food Shapes Your Child CPD courses show you why feeding a child is so much more than putting food on their plates. Hello and welcome to Louisa's Health Kick podcast as part of the CPD series for the How Food Shapes Your Child course series. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Ben Healy, who is the founder of CoAction Health and a sports and exercise scientist and a physiotherapist. He is currently practicing as a musculoskeletal physiotherapist and really does have a passion for improving the integration between physical and mental health and how to share the importance of the holistic approaches to health and well-being. Ben's got experience working within the NHS and private practice and has spent time with professional sports clubs, running injury clinics at grassroots football clubs, and then set up his co-action health, which is bringing this approach of health and well-being into workplaces across the country. Ben has worked with children with musculoskeletal problems and believes that education on this subject, which is obviously what we're all about here, is vital to promote healthy cultures and habits to help the musculoskeletal development in children, which is why I have invited Ben along to this particular CPD podcast, which we're looking at how to build a strong skeleton and the impact of this window of opportunity in childhood for the musculoskeletal issues that we may see in later life. So hi, Ben. Thank you for coming along and joining us. Thank you for having me. I think that's probably the best intro I've ever had. Um, So that's great. Thank you. (laughs) Perfect. I'll take that. Thank you for that. So in your own words now, you can tell us a bit about yourself and and what made you kind of choose going into this area? What, What is it that was so important to you about this subject area when you were thinking of, you know, what to study and what to work in? What was it about this that was so important? Yeah. So, you know, as as a a typical child growing up, it was always, you know, football, firemen, all of these things. Um, But I I grew up with a a passion and a love for all things science and sport. Um, So I spent most of my time at school with aspirations of becoming a doctor. Um, My my uncle's a GP. I spent a lot of time with him in his practice shadowing. Um, But I think my first experience really with a physio was at his practice with their in-house physio. Um, I spent the day with her and she was fantastic, really inspiring, really sort of caring. And it, that really opened up the the door of physio to me. Um, but what's quite nice about this podcast and specifically talking about bones um, is it really links to where my sort of real passion for physio came. Um, and it came out a little bit of adversity, really. So when I was in year 10, school my now brother-in-law was diagnosed with osteosarcoma um, which is a type of bone cancer Um, and thankfully Adam got through it and he's still an absolute inspiration to us all Um, he's actually completing a London marathon on his crutches this year Um, so that it's amazing Um, and and Adam was really one of my first inspirations Um, watching his journey and his rehab really gripped me Um, And that's where my passion for rehabilitation came. So I thought, well, if I can combine my personal interests of science and physical activity with helping people to recover and improve their lives, then what better better career is there for me? Mm, Brilliant. And it's always I think it always makes the sort of journey more worthwhile when you have that sort of personal backstory that you can really 
use as inspiration as you say but also kind of have as a as a kind of reason for for what you're doing you've seen you've seen the impact that you know that the work can have on on individuals and it kind of makes it makes the day worthwhile doesn't it when you know that you can really have that impact oh absolutely yeah just just being able to follow up that journey and see the people's improvements um yeah it's one of those feelings that never really gets less or diminishes Mm -hmm, absolutely so I think people, and I may be wrong with this, but I think there is an assumption that people think that musculoskeletal issues or sort of predominantly those, you know, found within the elderly. You know, we we know that as we get older, obviously the bones get more brittle and we we perhaps see lots of falls and accidents in elderly people that can result in fractures and, and replacements. But it's not just the elderly who have musculoskeletal problems. And we certainly can see those in childhood, can't we? So what, what, would your advice be um, in terms of talking to people who work with children? And this is a very big question. I'm aware of that. Um, as to kind of what is the best thing we can do with children to prevent the issues that you see that don't need to happen in later life that we can prevent from happening? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think you're right, and it's it's understandable that people automatically think of older people when you talk about musculoskeletal. So. You know, it's the old thing of all oh, grandma's hips or grandma's back. Um, but absolutely, children can get musculoskeletal conditions, um, see it all the time. I think my big thing to answer your question is what can we do with children to help prevent these things coming in the future? Um, my big thing is always habits, really, um, and, and building lifelong habits. So they make up about 45% of our behaviors so these are the things we do without second thought um and we know that health isn't a one-time thing so it's it's not like we eat one healthy meal we go to the gym once and that's it done it's an ongoing process um and you know muscles bones they're both living things and i think often people forget that when we talk about bones they are living structures um so how powerful would it be if we can instill healthy habits from a young age, make them part of our identity and follow them through our lives? So with regards to bones, um, we know that really for, for the development of bones, they need two main things really. Um, activity, so the mechanical stress that we get when we perform exercise or physical activity creates a chain of events for the bones to develop. The things that help the bones to develop um, like you will very much know, Louise, nutrition, um, so ma- mainly your calcium, your vitamin D, um, they seem to be the important ones. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I always refer to and childhood as being this kind of window of opportunity to really lay down some foundations, both for the biological foundations, but also for the, the habit foundations. Because as you say, the, the more things we can do habitually, the more we're not consciously thinking I must exercise now it's just natural to move in a certain way which obviously is better for our our physical and mental health but the two things you're right in terms of the 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 two things that I refer to as kind of building our bone bank so investing in our bone bank in childhood because we have this sort of opportunity while the skeleton's growing to really make a strong skeleton that will support us hopefully for a very long time um, and put up with an awful lot of wear and tear because I mean skeletons do take a lot of wear and tear don't they They, 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 especially if you get into contact sports and you know all sorts of things but 
the, the, the two things that need to become habitual are the foods we eat. You're right. A lot of people say it's just calcium, calcium. I've done a short animation, which is part of this, this course actually called Calcium and Its Friends, because calcium cannot work on its own. It's got a multitude of other vitamins and minerals that enable it to work properly. But, but certainly it's the one that everyone always says we need and we do but it has its friends it needs to work with. So the right foods, but also movement, not necessarily exercise. And and I was having a wonderful conversation yesterday with, with Marnie Wills. And a lot of people are put off exercise, but it, we don't need to exercise. We just need to move. And I think as long as we can get those things habitual, then we're certainly laying down the strong foundations, not just for the biological foundations, but for the sort of the, the the habit foundations as well absolutely yeah all of it as a whole um so yeah you, you know you're right absolutely and the movement is really important so for us to get that stimulus to cause the bones to develop we need to be moving and we need different types of movement so higher intensity lower intensity and a whole variety of all of them um but you know the best the best time to build your bone density is is in those years of rapid growth. Um, and like you say, we're essentially, we're developing this frame that's meant to last as a lifetime between those ages of sort of 10 to 18 years old going through puberty. Um, that's really where we want to want to promote developing that bone structure. Absolutely. I think we, we can often assume that things that happen in childhood stay in childhood, but actually what we de- what happens in childhood can shape so much of our of our future health and I think the skeleton is a really good example of that so if we consider now um children a lot of them can have quite different lifestyles to certainly when I was a child and and can spend a lot more time being sedentary and we know the dangers of being a sedentary grown-up but if we consider a let's take a sort of seven-year-old child for example so they're in primary school they will have some structured PE but maybe, you know, two hours a week, um, they have the potential to spend the rest of the time maybe getting a lift to school, and that could be from a number of reasons, using playtime to not run around and play because they, they don't all, I've seen playgrounds, some can stand or sit around, you know, in, in huddles, and then potentially in an evening be on a games console or something like that. So they will potentially spend the majority of their time sitting now in terms of a developing skeleton could you talk us through what the implications of that kind of lifestyle would be on a on a young child yeah absolutely so you're right again you mentioned the point that exercise as a word and and as a thing can be quite daunting to some I don't think it's the most inclusive word in the world um you know when when we talk professionally or in the clinic I would much rather talk about physical activity because like you said it can be all sorts of different things um but yeah it's it's very interesting point and actually the world health organization in their physical activity guidelines recently added that children should limit the amount of time being spent sedentary and particularly the amount of recreational screen time um so it's it's kind of following on from the point we made that you know in those early years where you've got that rapid bone development, you know, that you start off with 270 bones and they fuse and we finish with give or take 206. 
really important that while those those bones are developing we're we're making the most of the things that can help to develop them so yeah the physical activity getting those stimuli that are going to help to proliferate those bones to make them stronger getting the right nutrition um so i think you know it's it's very important to add variety to the activities that that we're doing as children um it's you know it's something that's becoming quite a big thing and a well publicized thing about sitting screen time playing on the computer games um but i think in terms of overall development not just physical but again the mental the social side of things trying different activities trying different different exercises at times being put through different activities in pe at school i think it's it's all about finding something that the child enjoys um and it's whether that's something that's more high intensity if that's you know your team sports if it's swimming if it's gymnastics any of these things even just walking um walking the dog all of these things are really beneficial for that physical development um but i think it's a case of getting the right amount of variety for people to one find something they enjoy and two feeding into sort of overuse injuries again we don't want to be doing the same thing all day every day because that can lead to its own problems yeah i was i was going to ask you on that so we will find the sort of extremes with children isn't there and we can kind of see i know my own child my son is very much into football at the moment and if he was given the opportunity he would be doing football training every night all of the weekends but we do mix it up with you know with his swimming and um we we make sure he goes on walks he's done quite a few runs with me and things like that as well but children will tend to if they like something kind of really go for that and really focus on it but like with a grown-up the body can suffer wear and tear and what is the implication of overuse of certain you know repetitive movements in a developing skeleton in terms of the difference that we would see with repetitive issues in in grown-ups something that i do see mainly when i do see children in the clinic it is sort of the overuse injuries people throw around the terms of growing pains and all these sort of things which they they do occur um but the 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 skeleton of a child is obviously very different to the skeleton of someone that's fully developed um so you've probably heard about the growth plates um at the end of the bone that's obviously the area where the bones are growing they're developing um and that's sort of where usually we'll find these overuse injuries um so there's a couple of more famous well-known ones osgood schlatter's disease quite a common one um so that's that's sort of to do with the growth plate um in in your knees um there's another one i see quite often called severs which is similar but in the heel um so what can happen is when we're performing the same high intensity activity most nights of the week it's like you said if if someone you know when i was a kid i enjoyed football i enjoyed cricket so i was playing them all through winter or through the summer every night when i could um you know if you're doing that you're doing the same thing over and over and over you can get these it's it's kind of where the tendons that are attached to that part of the bone become a bit inflamed they become a bit unhappy because we're just doing too much to them they're not having enough time to rest and redevelop um and build back up so again that's where the variety comes in um we sort of recommend that 
you know, specialization in a sport. So just purely playing, <clears throat> purely playing football, purely playing cricket, whatever your sport is, we shouldn't really be doing that until we get to sort of the teenage years. Um, before that, we want to make sure there's a good variety just so we're mixing up the different things that the children are doing, not putting too much strain on those specific movements. Yeah, absolutely. I th- and I think that helps with kind of making sure that they have a cross-section of skills because we know that if they focus on something that and they really enjoy it, that they may tune out of other things like not, you know, do things that involve hand-eye coordination or things, and then they lose the other skills. So it's kind of making sure there's a mix for many different reasons, not just obviously the regeneration, but also there's a, there's a sort of the cognitive aspects that you get with some physical activity where you have to sort of work things out a bit and things. So there's obviously a, a bigger sort of picture to that all. But I want to come on to sort of certain positions that children can get in. And um, and if there's any that, there are some that kind of, I see them and they kind of give me the heebie-jeebies, but I'm not really sure why. Like when children sit and they're kind of on a chair, but they're on their knees and their bums kind of drop down in between both of their legs and their feet are behind their bum, if that makes sense. So they're kind of, and it, for me, that just looks anatomically not right. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. There's, again, when you're looking at, especially in the very early years, um, when children spend most of the time sitting, when they can't walk, they can't crawl, um, it is a position that can predispose sort of developmental hip conditions. Um, so yeah, that uh, it's not a position that we would really want to see someone in for a long time. Um, again, the the World Health Organization guidelines do say that we want we don't want to be in one position for more than an hour. Um, I think up to two years old. So that's really says a lot if if the World Health Organization are putting that out there. Um, I don't know any one or two year old that would stay unless they were asleep that would stay in a position for that long (laughs) well yeah I think I think in there it was sort of like the restrained position so if they were strapped in or if they were in one of the little bounces or something like that Um, but yeah absolutely you know it's it's all a case really of when we're young getting used to moving in different positions we don't want to be stuck in one single position so you see sometimes children are toe walking where they they can't get the heels onto the ground or they're sort of bouncing on their toes. Um, Again, if children that have been in one of the bouncers, if they've been left in there for a while, they can start to develop that habit. Um, And again, it's it's not always going to happen, but it's these certain positions that we see absolutely can sort of be a risk factor for these sort of developmental skeletal conditions as we grow up, which then predisposes to certain other conditions. Um, so having you know, the abnormalities in your hip position with, with the position that you described, the one that you don't like, um, again, that, that can predispose you to um, things like arthritis in your older age. And something that, that really is quite preventable. Um, so, you know, just making sure that, yeah, we're not in the same position for a long, long time is important and that's really important for the classroom as well because I think when children get older and they're in a classroom um there is often an expectation that they sit and and do something and and there's lots of sort of scientific evidence that says that that isn't the best you know catalyst for enhanced cognitive function that children will kind of switch off if they're in a sedentary position and it won't fire up you know the brain as much as as if they were allowed to move around a little bit more but I think it's kind of worth considering that 
classrooms can be a sedentary place and what can we do in the classroom um to just mix things up a bit I, I know some classrooms will get up and you know just jump around and shake you know every now and again just so things are moving and I think that's important that we that we do keep kind of trying to do that and I want to I want to come on to the issue of school bags now this is obviously going up a few ages to to older children and I, I live near both primary school and a secondary school and I, I I see some what I would consider walking you know physiotherapy disasters um they've got really massive heavy bags on tiny shoulders hanging off one shoulder they're all lopsided um you know the same with when women have a really heavy handbag on one arm and what what does that really do <laughs> to, to the body yeah yeah it's it is like the, the common picture of a, a year seven child, isn't it? I remember my first bag was was probably about the size of me on my back. Um, and yeah, lot, lots of people come in and say, oh, I know where this back back pain came from. It was from when I was walking to school and I had really heavy bags. Um, it's Again, it can be a bit of a risk factor, but back pain, injuries, it, there's so many factors that could be involved. Um, I think absolutely they you know, having a really heavy bag and it's putting strain on a certain structure, if it's, you know, if it's leaning over to one side, if it's too heavy for what your body can handle, then absolutely that can cause the pain, probably more of a muscle strain really, but just where that, that tissue can't handle that load that's going through it. Um, so with that really, I think that there are some documents out there about how to wear a school bag correctly, how to pack it. If they wore it on two shoulders, surely the weight would be... I know that they don't and they won't. And my own child won't either. It's like, no, no, no. But it, surely that would kind of ease some of the issues. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when you've got an injury, really what, what I want to do, if it is like a, an overuse injury or a muscular strain, I want to offload that area for a little bit. So, you know, giving it a little bit of time to chill out, to stop being so aggravated, let it handle what it can handle so taking away that stimulus of too much load going through it so yeah by changing the position of your bag you can probably offload that area take a little bit of weight onto a different area but just equal it out and over time it should start to settle down again we can do things like conditioning to build up the muscles build up the structures around it get it used to that that load going through it um but yeah i think there always seems to be like the trends, doesn't there, in how to wear your school bag? Yeah, as as uncomfortable as possible, it, it would seem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, you, you're right. I think if you know if you have got a really heavy bag, yeah, ergonomically you want to be sort of trying to spread that weight as much as you can. Um, but really, the the main thing I would say is just trying to not do things that you your body can't handle. So if your bag is really really heavy, can you leave stuff in a locker overnight? Can you? you know, try and spread that load a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to throw a slight curveball in, and I'm sorry I haven't prepared you for this, but this is um, something that I, I, I'm a bit confused about. So we've seen a really big increase in childhood obesity. The biggest increase in childhood obesity has happened since the pandemic. Um, and we know that there's obviously lots of knock-ons to a child being overweight and obese. And, you know, a lot of that is to do with perhaps the joint strain um, as opposed to skeletal strain. But I just wanted to ask you, when we do see a big increase in childhood obesity, is there any impact on a child's skeleton when the, the body is carrying 
more weight than perhaps it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obesity sort of on a whole causes quite a lot of difficulties in the body. Um, we know that it can it can affect the absorption of nutrients. We know that absolutely you're going to be putting more strain through your joints. Um, but something that comes out, especially, you know, I'm usually working with people in pain. Um, and it's natural to assume that, yeah, more weight through that joint, you're going to get more pain through that joint because it's taking more. But actually a lot of the research that's coming out recently, um, really interesting, it shows that actually inflammation and those inflammatory molecules seem to be the biggest driver of pain. Um, and we know that people with higher body fat percentages have higher systemic inflammation in the body. So the whole of the body, they've got more of those inflammatory markers. So actually it leaves them a bit more susceptible to pain. And that, that wouldn't be, children wouldn't be precluded from that. I think we can often make the assumption that, oh, that won't apply to children, but it, it will, won't it? They, they're not exempt. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, same systems, same sort of molecular processes going on. Um, it's, it's something that definitely does apply to children as well. Yeah, I think I think we often make the assumption that children don't get adult diseases, but certainly um, we're starting to see certainly the, the scientific evidence that that isn't true at all. And it, I always use the example of type 2 diabetes because it's the most alarming statistic. Um, and I think people still assume type 2 diabetes is an adult condition. Um, but we know that there are 3,432 children in the UK today living with type 2 diabetes. And that's not necessarily linked to obesity. We know that you can get type 2 diabetes without being obese, but it's likely to play a part. So that is likely to increase. And again, there are factors and comorbidities that come with that. And it's a, you know, it's a chronic and lifelong condition. So for a child to have it, kind of spells out a lifetime of of you know potential ill health unless it's kept in check which is quite a sad state of affairs for us to be in with that many children with that condition um it today so so yeah it's they're not exempt no no not at all and i think like you say you know preventing these conditions where they are preventable is much better than trying to treat something once it has happened and that's always been my philosophy which is exactly what we're trying to do. Very nicely done there, Ben, which is exactly what we're trying to do with with this podcast. We're trying to look at the the factors that influence childhood development and the things that we can do to really, it is all about shaping those early habits. Habits for bone development very much are around nutrition, which is very much focused in the course and movement. They're the two fundamental things that we need to try to instill as the norm in childhood, because then that will become the norm in in adulthood and as we covered with Marnie yesterday once we have a child who doesn't like exercise or doesn't like PE then we kind of have an adult who will always be intimidated by that as well so early habits are really key so thank you uh, very much for joining us today Ben and I know that you're coming back because you're coming back to talk all about the muscular system so we we will cover yet more with you um, in terms of this CPD series when we get you back for building the muscular system. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Louise's Health Kick podcast. The CPD series discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book about how food shapes your child. 
Well, why not get in touch on social media? And if you've enjoyed this podcast, why not like and subscribe to hear more? This is a 1386 audio production.